0: The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 9? And um, I want to talk, you know, over the next few weeks leading up to Father's Day about a subject that is really um, close to my heart. And um, you know, we, we've called it for a long time "God concepts," but it's all about finding out what God is really like, because I'm convinced that a lot of people have got wrong concepts about God. I'm just 100 percent convinced about that. And when you read the Bible, you find that even the disciples had wrong concepts about God, and Jesus came to correct those concepts. And when I hear people talking about God, uh, we live in an age where everybody is right. Have you noticed that? We live in an age where everybody is right. Well, if it's my opinion, it must be right because it's my opinion. But uh, it's, it's very confusing when all these opinions actually contradict each other. And so what I want to do today is just open up the scriptures a little bit, expose some wrong god concepts and try to lead you into the god concepts that Jesus came to reveal in the Bible. Well, let's let's read this this amazing one in John chapter 9. It says this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. So he's he's a guy who was born blind, and so his disciples. Now this is not the people that were not close to Jesus. This is his disciples. So they asked Jesus a question. Here's the, the question I asked him: Hey Rabbi, who sinned, this man, or his parents, that he was born blind? So who's what's the cause? for this man's blindness, because they lived in an age of cause effect. They lived in a, in a mindset, a philosophy of cause effect. If there's a reason for everything happening, how many of you know that even today we still have that, that mindset that there's a reason for everything happen? Why me? How many times you've heard that? Why has this happened to me? And so he's the disciples just hey come on who who sinned was it him in the womb, can you imagine the mischief a little baby gets up to in that womb? You know, all the lies that they tell, all the things that they steal. Well, I, I just know that my kids were the only bad things they did in the womb was kick their mother. Uh, I'm sure that that's a big sin in heaven about kicking your mum. But so who sinned? This this man or his parents that he was born blind? And so Jesus wants to correct that and says, well, neither. The man nor his parents are at fault here. This has got nothing to do with their sin. So, But, but it's, it's a mentality that goes through. How many of you have read the book of Job? What a fascinating book that is, the book of Job. It opens up with Job being the most righteous man on the planet. So we're talking about if, if, if there's a gauge of righteousness, Job was at the top of the gauge. And yet, all this calamity comes his way. And so, again, Job's comforters, his friends, their whole interpretation is well, you must have done something wrong. You must have been a bad, it must be secret sin. While well, nobody was looking, Job, you were behind the scenes doing nasty things. And that's why all this has happened to you, cause effect. You know, in, in the East, they call it karma. You know, I I know that as Christians, we reject karma, but we've got Christian karma. And Christian karma is, is, well, maybe that day you weren't praying hard enough. Or maybe that day you didn't cover yourself with the blood of Jesus. I mean, when we were kids, I tell you, every trip that we had, we had to cover ourselves with the blood of Jesus. I know that sounds gory for the uninitiated. And it's like, you know, we just cover ourselves in the blood and it's Christian ease. For um, Christian karma, you know, bad things will happen if you don't do the right thing. And it's we live in this, this this age. And Jesus is saying to them, it's got nothing to do with that. The central theme of the New Testament is grace. And the whole concept of grace is this. Jesus got what he didn't deserve so that you don't get what you deserve that's the that's grace jesus got what he didn't deserve so that you don't get what you deserve so we don't live under karma we live under grace we don't live under cause effect. We live under this. And so, again, you know, in Luke 13, same concept. Here it is, the questions asked Jesus. Turn to Luke 13. Very similar mindsets. Let's read it. There was present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. In other words, these Galileans that Pilate had had killed, Pilate being the Roman governor, he killed some people, some Galileans. And and Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were the worst sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? And their immediate response would have been, well, we think so. Because bad things happen to them, there must be a cause for the bad things happening to them. And Jesus, he knocks it on the head. This is what he says, I tell you no. And then he goes on, he says, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. All those 18, there was latest news. A tower collapsed. The tower in Siloam had toppled. It was the World Trade Tower of Salome. It collapsed and 18 people got killed. And so Jesus was, was, was talking about current affairs and he says, all those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were the worst sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? And their answer was, well, well I think so because bad things happen to bad people. And, and they must have been, there must have been some reason for the tower to fall on those eighteen. They were picked out specifically for the tower to fell and they just happened to all be in the same place at the same time and God must have thought now's the time to kill them all with the tower falling. Come on, let's, let's, let's get this sorted out because these are concepts that we need to just knock on the head. What I've noticed in life is this, is that when you go to Royal North Shore Hospital, you don't find the worst people, of Sydney in Royal North Shore Hospital, all there at the same time because God has punished them with sickness because they're the worst people. You find good people, you find bad people, you find pretty people, you find ugly people. Stuff happens in this world. So let let, let me give you some more concepts that I want to rebuff and then bring you into some concepts that Jesus tried to explain to us when he came from heaven, trying to teach us the right God concepts. Anne and I just came back from Europe. So uh, a week ago, we were in Europe having a holiday. How many of you noticed that I'm still tanned? What a shock to wake up this morning and find it so cold. We're used to 30 degrees. we were used to the hot weather and all of a sudden we're in just the, the, the dying uh, uh, places of winter. Springtime is coming, glory to God. I'm loving that. But uh, we noticed a lot of God concepts in our trip because one of the things that we enjoy doing is visiting churches. And so when you're in Europe, you visit a lot of churches. And so we spent a lot of time in Greece and a lot of time in Italy. And Kalimera to all my Greek friends. I love Greece. I love their food. It's uh, it's it's wonderful. And the um, the the water, the sea, the um, around Greece is just amazing. But what I noticed when when I was in Greece was um, that there was a big God concept that prevailed in that country. And the God concept that prevails in Greece. Is the God who needs appeasement? And, um, and so consequently, what you find is that there's churches everywhere. We're talking about on every corner. they're not big churches. They're certainly not churches like ours. But there are, there are buildings that have been consecrated. And some of them are only big enough for one or two people to go in. They're really small. They're not, they're not, they're not meant for a big band and, and celebration like us. They're just meant to appease God. And so at every single harbour, if there's a harbour where boats, fishing boats launch out, there's a church. On every hill, there's a church. We went to Mykonos, and there were churches in the middle of a field. There's no one around, but there's a church there. There's a church on a hill. And, and Anne took some photos, with, um, and, uh, and the only thing that you could see on, on this vast plain were three church buildings all in a row. There's no people, no, all rocks, but they're three church buildings. I mean, not big buildings, just little buildings and 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 the whole concept is like we have to appease God because there's bad things out there, and if we appease God, then maybe he'll protect us from the bad things so if If before we launch our little boat into the sea we we do our sacrifice, then maybe God will protect us, and so it's almost like the Christian good luck charm, and so they're christians there's no question about the fact that they're Christians. But their God concept is a God who needs to be appeased, a God who needs our sacrifice. And what they don't understand is that Jesus paid the sacrifice for us all. And so once he paid the sacrifice, we don't need the sacrifice anymore because we have the sacrifice, the big sacrifice that Jesus paid. And so it was all appeased at the cross Everything that needed to be appeased was appeased at the cross. When Jesus died, he died for the sins of humanity. And God doesn't need to be appeased anymore because Jesus did that at the cross. Then we went to Italy. And again, it was fascinating to go to Italy because one of their big God concepts there that I noticed was um, the God who is hard to approach. For them, they had this God concept. He's hard to be to be approached, and so, and so uh, one of the things that we did is that we had um, a seaside holiday and a cultural holiday all at all at the same time in Venice. So in Venice, there's an island called the Lido, and the Lido faces the Atlantic, uh, the um, Adriatic, and it's full of beaches and so you can do your beach holiday at the Lido then you buy a Vaporetto Pass which is their ferry and you can go backwards and forwards into Venice in the afternoon to do your cultural holiday and so that's what we do. We, Anne can only handle a couple hours at the beach anyway because of her Welsh skin and um, I want to protect that very delicate Welsh Skin that 's milky white from uh, from sun because it burns her and and so but she loves the beach she loves swimming, so we do that in the morning once it gets too hot, go back home, get dressed, and then do the cultural thing and you visit the churches, the art galleries and and I was fascinated with all of their religious art. The Italians love religious art it's fascinating the religious art that they love but what I was but what I was looking for was their depiction of God and and so what I noticed and it's and it's fascinating you do some study of Italian art and try to find a depiction of God with a smiling face you won't find a smiling God anywhere And so there were lots of depictions of the old man with the big beard, the big beard, but but very severe. So God is very severe and uh, hard to approach. That's the mindset. And so what's the Italian response to that? Well, what you do is that you find intermediaries that can represent you. And so the Italians have the saints and the saints are people that lived and actually ticked all the boxes for God. They did all the good things. And, and and so in their minds, you know, so only only very select people can achieve sainthood and they're the ones that have pleased the severe God. And so what you want to do is get in the good books with the saints because the saints then can actually represent you to God. They become the intermediary. They've got a good relationship with God, which obviously you don't have because you're a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. But but these are the good guys. And And so they're easier to approach. So what you do is that you go to the intermediary. But then... But then the big one, the 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 one that gives you absolute access, is his mother. Get in the good books with mum, and so and so. The Italians have la Madonna. They have uh, the Mother of God. See in their concept, they call Mary not the Mother of Jesus, but the Mother of God. And so this is the way that the equation works. Okay, so. <clears throat> Jesus was brought into this world through Mary. So isn't that right? So Mary is the mother of Jesus. Yes, we know that. And Jesus is God. Yes, we know that as well. Therefore, Mary is the mother of God. Hang on here. Um, uh, that, That math doesn't quite work for us. Why is that? Because Jesus is both human and God. But he was God before he was human. So he was divine before he was human. So, so Mary didn't exist when Jesus created the universe. She wasn't even there. But what happened was this, that there was a time where God became human and Mary was used to bring the humanity of Jesus into this world. So Mary is definitely the mother of Jesus, but not the mother of God. Anyway, that's a little bit of theology for you to get that sorted out. You got that? Yeah, yeah there you go. So, uh, so, so what you do is that you get in the good books with Mary, and that's like that's like a, a double. That's like a double whammy. But this is what the Bible says in First Timothy chapter two verse five. This is this is the this is what the Bible says. There is one God, and one mediator, not many mediators. There's only one mediator between us and God. And that's the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all of us. And so for us, our approach to God is through Jesus. And when you get to Hebrews chapter 4, it actually encourages us with boldness to come into the presence of God. And so it basically says, no, God is not a severe God, an unapproachable God, but a God that says, my arms are wide open, Come. And it's time that we stop seeing the severe, austere, unapproachable God and see a God whose arms are wide open welcoming us to come. So, so let me spend the rest of this morning talking to you about the God concepts that Jesus revealed. Because that's really what I, I, I want to spend some time talking about. I, I love the fact that Jesus came to reveal a God of love. Not a severe God, but a God of love and and for me the the best way that you can get a god concept is just to study the life of Jesus because Jesus did nothing of his own that he did not receive direction from the father so he came to carry forth the father's wishes he came to literally represent father god so everything that Jesus did was in connection with the heart of God. And so, so when you look at Jesus and you see the love of Jesus, that's the love of God. So a couple of stories that really reflect this. Luke chapter 8. I love this story because it's the story of the connection with Jesus and a religious leader called Jarius. Now what's interesting is that Jarius was the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum. And, um, and, and there was much to do with the religious leaders and Jesus. And so they were very offensive to Jesus in so many respects and, um, and literally gave him a hard time. But Jarius and his point of need, his daughter was on death's door. What's interesting, his daughter was on death's door. He had he'd actually gone through every avenue possible to get his daughter well. And his last resort was to get Jesus to come to his place and pray for his girl. It's an amazing thing when you get desperate what you will resort to. Hello? It's an amazing thing when you get desperate. It's an amazing thing that when people are facing death, that's when all of a sudden they'll start to face God. And, um, and, and so many people can go through a whole lifetime of rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And then they're facing death's door and they start to say, maybe, maybe, maybe I need to start thinking about this in a different avenue. And, um, and they just get closer. But you know what? This is what I love about God is that he doesn't reject them and say, what, all your life you've rejected me and now in your point of need? you come to me what he says it doesn't matter come whenever you're ready and i'll be ready for you i mean what an incredible illustration the thief on the cross is for us just just think about it here's this guy his whole life he's lived criminal enterprise his whole life he's done wrong and we're talking right on the precipice of eternity, he's been crucified. He's moments from death. He turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into paradise. That's all he says. And it's not Jesus saying, well, oh, yeah, your whole life you live a criminal and a crook. Your whole life. And now at the end of it, you call calling me to help you. Well, I'm not helping you now, buddy. You're on your own. No. What you see is as soon as they're ready to cry out, there's a God of compassion ready to come and meet them. I just love that. I just, and so Jesus turns to the thief and says, surely this day you'll be with me in paradise. Hello for every single person in this auditorium today. Just work it out. It doesn't take a lot to get saved. Just a cry genuinely from the heart. Will get you across that line. So, so here's Jarius. Will you come and help me? And I love the response of Jesus. Immediately, he stops what he's doing and says, "Yeah, I'll come to your house. I'm coming to your place. I'm going to pray for your little girl." How many of you? How many of you can see a God of love? Oh, you say, "But John, well, surely Jesus was busy. Surely Jesus was was preaching the gospel and saving the world. But he loved this man enough." to stop everything and go to his place. So so now he's got an agenda. I'm going to go to Jairus's place. Now I'm going to go to Jairus's place, pray for his daughter. So he's, he's busy doing something. In the midst of that, this woman comes. The Bible talks about this woman that had an issue of blood. What, what that talks about, that she was hemorrhaging for 12 years. Can you imagine every single day for 12 years, just bleeding, bleeding, bleeding for 12 years every single day. It's just beyond imagination. But this woman, again, at the wit's end, wakes up and says, Jesus is in my town. And I believe if I only don't even want to disturb him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be made whole. And so so he's Jesus on his way to Jairus. He's got a mission. and, And all of a sudden, this woman reaches out, goes through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus feels power leaving out of him. Stops. Whoa, you can imagine people running into each other as Jesus stops in the midst of that crowd. And he turns around and says, somebody touched me. Everybody's going, everybody's touching you, Jesus. No, but somebody touched me differently. Someone touched me with faith. Someone touched me with desire. And so who was it? And so here's this woman. She's, she's afraid now. She's a, Why is she afraid? Because under Jewish law, you're not allowed to be with people if you're hemorrhaging with blood. It's, it's, you, under Jewish law, you were considered unclean if you're hemorrhaging with blood. And so you're not allowed to be out in public, let alone touching a man. And so here's this woman, she's thinking, I'm I'm in big trouble now. Oh boy, oh boy, I'm in big trouble. And Jesus turned around saying, who touched me? But there was something in his eyes that must have made her feel, but I'm not in trouble. And so she owned up and she said, it was me. I touched you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just swamps her with love. Oh woman, Great is your faith. I love, I love your faith. I love that you stepped out into the unknown. I love the fact that you reached out to me. I love the fact that you overcame your fear and you reached out. You didn't have a great God, God concept, but you had a hope that maybe, maybe Jesus is different to all that I've been taught about fear and austerity. Maybe Jesus is the God of love. And she found love, she found healing, she found salvation. And then, and then after all that, it was like, well, Jesus, you might as well give up because the girl's dead. She's dead. And Jesus says, nah, I'm still going to Jerry's place. She gets, he gets there, kicks everybody out, brings in the family, says, come on, let me pray for her. Talitha, called me, little girl, arise. And all of a sudden, he was able to present the little girl to the father. How many of you can see? that this is not a severe God, this is a God of love and compassion. Do you have that concept of God? Is that the God concept that you have? Or is your God concept this mean old man in the sky ready to punish you? Or do you have a God concept of a God of love? Uh, Here's another concept that Jesus came to show. Not only was he a God of love, but he was a God of relationship. This this thing about relationship just, it blows me away. I can still remember as a Bible college student studying the Bible and just being blown away with some verses in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and um, verses 35 to 39. There's these two disciples of John the Baptist so it's, uh, it's Andrew and John John doesn't mention his name because he's writing the book but, but he's the guy in the story And so they were disciples of John the Baptist And John the Baptist is, is pointing to Jesus Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world And so he's saying to his disciples Hey listen, you've been following me But let, let me tell you something You need to be following him Because he's the one that I'm talking about And so Andrew and John Leave John the Baptist and, and they go, get hold of this. I love this. Just turn to John chapter 1 because this is just so powerful. And uh, verse 35, and again, the next day, John, with, with two of his disciples, and the two disciples were Andrew and John, uh, looking at Jesus, he, walked by, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, translated, teacher, Where are you saying? And so here's what Jesus says. He says to them, come and see. Why don't you come home with me? Why don't you come to my place? We can hang out a little bit. I tell you, when when I first saw this, it so impacted me. Because here's God saying, "Let's, let's have some hangout time together. Why don't you come to my place? Why don't you come to my home? I'll make you some dinner. I'll make you coffee if you drink coffee, tea if you drink tea. I'll I'll host you. I'll, I'll prepare a meal for you. I'll put it together for you. You say, what? Jesus cooked? Yeah, he did. How many of you remember just after the resurrection, he prepared breakfast. He cooked some fish on a barbecue for the disciples Jesus was good at barbecues. How many of you think that's a good deal? <laughs> that's why us men like barbecues, because we want to be like Jesus. <laughs> but the point, of, this is hospitality. It's like a God of hospitality. I, I don't get it. I just love it. It's just awesome. And it doesn't stop there. you know. And so these guys, once, once they went to his home... And they were exposed not only to his words, but his hospitality. It was a different Jesus. How many of you know that when you go to somebody's place and you sit with them, it's a different person. You get to see them in a different light. But let me tell you that both Andrew and John followed Jesus for the rest of their lives. They got a relationship. W- w- one of the great stories I love about relationships. I could sit here all day telling you stories. I-, I-, I just I've been hanging out preaching to you guys, so uh, so so I got so much to share with you. But but here's Jesus walking through Jericho. I love this story. <coughs> Town of Jericho, and and one of one of the characters of the city of Jericho was a short fellow. A short guy. They called him Shorty. The Bible calls him Zacchaeus. But he was so short, he's a little Danny DeVito is the one I get to my mind when I think of Zacchaeus, you know, just a little Danny DeVito. His problem was that he wanted to see Jesus, but he but he couldn't see over the tops of people's heads as Jesus is walking through the town. And so he climbs up into a tree. How many of you know the story? How many of you can remember the song in Sunday school? Zacchaeus was a little, little man, a little, little man was he. Climbed up into a sycamore tree, for he wanted the Lord to see. (laughs) There you go. So how many of you remember that song in Sunday school? There you go, the old timers. And uh, so the story is, he's, he's up in the tree trying to be obscure because, I mean, he's he's supposed to be cool. He's the tax collector. He's got prestige, you know, but he wanted to see Jesus. So I love the story because Jesus walks right up to the tree and stops and everybody again bangs into each other as he stops and he looks up. Hey, Zacchaeus, what what are you doing up in the tree? Uh, Just wanted to get a good view. He says, why don't you get down because... I'm actually wanting to come to your place for a cup of tea. He says, I'm wanting to come to your house. I'm wanting to, of all the people to go to, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your place. Will you host me? Again, you know, it's like this God of relationship, where does this come from? This God of relationship, he likes intimacy. He likes fellowship. He likes to get down and talk with you. Not just theology. Not just about how good or how bad you are. But let's just sit down and chew the card. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other. Talk to me that I might know you. Because I'm telling you, sometimes when we talk to people, we just talk jargon. We just talk theory. But it's only when you're able to sit down and open your heart that you get to know each other. You know, when, when I get down and talk with Anne, I just don't want to hear about the rules and regulations of marriage. I'm, I'm not just not, you know, seriously. You know, I, I just don't want my communication to be just rules and regulations and and uh, and what I need from you and what you need from me. You know, I just want, let's talk about nonsense. Let's talk about what we love. Let's talk about what we don't like. Let's talk about, about stories. Let's talk about perspectives not just rules and re- and sometimes when you get with God, is it just your list? This is what I need from you, God. And oh, by the way, um, this is all the things that I've done wrong, and I ask your forgiveness for that. And so it's like lists. How many of you know to be pretty boring if you had a friend and all of your communication with them was lists? You know, what's all that about? Let's- okay, we've done the lists. Good. Now let's talk. Because I think sometimes that's what God is wanting to say. But for a lot of us, once we're through our list, we sort of, see you later. And it's like, come on, let's talk. Tell me about what you like. Tell me. When was the last time you saw a sunset and you went, God, that was awesome. That color plate that you used to make that, that's amazing. Whoa. How many of you can remember the last time you went, whoa, to God, you know, and thumbs up, and that's really cool? I think that's the sort of stuff that God's looking from us at times. Okay? Third point, and I'm going to finish. Are you getting there? God concepts. God of grace. God of grace. A God of grace. You know, seriously, this this is something that we should never, ever underestimate the grace of God. Can I, can I be honest with you? I sometimes struggle with this one myself because some of my God concepts growing up were the opposite to this. So you've got to understand that, that even I as a pastor have to struggle through my God concepts. So as a little kid growing up, I, I grew up with the God who'll punish you if you do wrong. You know, God's, God's out to punish you concept in a Pentecostal Italian home. But it was all about God will only love you if you're good. But if you're not good, then God is ready to punish you. And so this God of grace, I've had to work it, come into grips with it. The God of grace that, that God loves you despite yourself. That God loves you despite your weaknesses. That God knows your weaknesses but still loves you regardless. I, I, you know, it's just... It's just such a difficult concept for some of us to get. Some people get it really easily. And some people just live there and, and they don't move from there because it's the grace of God covers everything. And I think sometimes we've just got to work out where we are overbalanced and just step a little bit closer to the other side to get into the right balance. But grace is all about God giving us what we don't deserve. Everybody say, grace is about God giving us what we don't deserve. And some of us have difficulty with that because we've brought up in a system that you only get what you deserve. And grace is about God giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us kisses from heaven. God giving us above and beyond what we ask or think. And when I think about the grace of God... you know, what comes to mind is John chapter 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery. I mean, what did she deserve? She deserved what the law stipulated she deserved, and that was punishment. So she deserved punishment, and everybody knew that, and Jesus knew it, and the woman knew it. But what did Jesus give her? He gave her grace and forgiveness. And it's like, this is what you deserve, but my grace gives you what you don't deserve. The, the the other illustration of grace that just impacts me so deeply is the story of the prodigal son in in Luke fifteen, you know he's he's the son he's man he has really done bad, and so the best the best that he could hope for was, well, I know my father is, 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 is a forgiving father. I got that God concept right. But the best that I can hope for, even with the forgiveness, is that I can become a servant in his house and at least have some food. That's the best I could hope for. And so he, he's, he's some God concepts that are half right, but just don't go to the end. And so And so what he didn't expect was when the father saw him, was that he would run to him. What he wasn't expecting is, well, hang on, he's going he's to get the wooden stick or, or the big whip, come to me and give me a good flogging. That's why he's running, to give me it. What he didn't expect was the running was to embrace him, to kiss him and put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He wasn't expecting that. And then when he came home, it's like, like, hey, listen, I, I understand I've done wrong and the only expectation I have is that you forgive me and just make me a servant. I'm happy just to be a servant in the house. I'm happy just to work in the kitchen, work in the fields, whatever. I, I, you know, I don't even have to come into the house. Just a servant. It's cool. And the father says, no, you're not a servant. You're my son. You've come home. It's it's forgotten. It's dealt with. Let me let me reestablish you into sonship. It's, but I don't deserve it. Of course you don't. And that's why grace is so beautiful, because you don't deserve it. But God gives it to you regardless. He's a God of love, a God of relationship, a God of grace. And I want to finish this morning just with the benediction from Second Corinthians chapter 13 which churches have uttered now for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, most people that have come to church have left with this benediction. But it seems like the God concepts in the benediction haven't quite gotten through all the negative concepts of God. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, here it is. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the relationship, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So the last things that Paul was wanting us to remember is this. God is a God of love, a God of grace, and a God of relationship. God of grace, God of love and a God of relationship. He's a God of love, a God of grace, a God of relationship. doesn't matter what order you put it in. it's He's a God of love, a God of grace, a God of relationship. And if you can get that into your spirit, I'm telling you things will settle in and you're able to say God's got it and believe it with all of your heart because he is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of relationship. Thanks for listening to this message from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.